Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Fiorentina review episode, and I am joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is one of the hosts of the excellent Napoli Rant as well as the producer of In the Shadow of Vesuvius, both of which can be found on the Far From Vesuvius Network. Rafa Rispo, welcome back. Joe, thank you so much for having me on this show again, which is like a culmination of this incredible week that we've all been living. And I'm glad to be here to share it with you. Oh, the pleasure is absolutely mine. And, you know, we were touching on this before we started recording, but... Every Napoli fan is basically on cloud nine right now. There's nothing that can make us feel down about anything. And rightfully so, Napoli are the champions. We knew that already on Thursday, but it it really felt like it in this match. It was like this was the party that was supposed to happen for the Salernitana match that obviously it didn't. It was like, okay, put the plans on pause and and we'll press play when we come back for this Fiorentina match. Obviously, also the added uh, kind of meaning of playing against the team that sort of ended our our last real push for Scudetto so that was that was pretty cool the stadium was packed we'll we'll talk about the atmosphere uh but what I want to start with before we even get into the match is something I did on the last episode which was really well received thank you everyone for all the feedback on that which was that I reached out to a whole bunch of Napoli fans all over the world to just send me voice notes with their name their location and what this Scudetto means to them. And you were one of the people that I reached out to, but we've decided, okay, we're going to defer your comments since we decided to bring you on the pod for this review. So let's start there. And let me just ask you, Rafa, especially for someone who's been you know, so involved with the club from basically birth, right? 
what does this Scudetto mean to you? I'm a little happy that we decided to wait until today to talk about it because in the last episode, I feel like everyone's answer sort of was exactly what I was going to say. And had I missed something, someone else would have picked it up. I mean, from Biz saying, you know, it's all about meeting all these people in, in this community and, and growing a certain bond with a lot of people. And from family meaning and, you know, Dan Bowen just, you know, I mean, <laughs> I tweeted it out. I said, get a box of Kleenex if you're going to listen to this episode. And Dan really hit home with me, Fran and Gaetano and even, you know, Davide Ferini and Patrick Hendrick, you can hear it in there that, you know, this means something to them as neutral as they may have to be for their profession. And I feel like everyone feels something from this Scudetto, even if you're not an Napoli fan. So what this means to me the most is a lot of relief, a lot of just finally, right, Joe? Finally, man. Everything that we've ever had to like endure as a fan base, everything that we've ever had to endure as a people, never mind just fans, people of, of South Italy and, and of Naples, it all kind of just through this club and this Scudetto just kind of validates everybody that we were told, no, it'll, it'll never happen. Or even us, we thought, you know, a lot of us were like, you know, ADLs hit the ceiling. And he can't do it. And he's got to sell the club. A16. And then, you know, all the moves we make and all the things we do that led us to this point. A lot of people didn't think we'd get here. And I'm one of the people that were like, you know what? We're going to do it. And if it's going to be once, one time validates everything. And first of all, it means the world to me that I was with my family. I had to have my kids and my dad at least with me. For this occasion, I even took my kids out of state testing for this. We <laughs> Sunday didn't happen against Salernitana, so Thursday it is. And, oh, we got to miss state testing? So be it. We'll make it up. And just to be with people I care about, you know, in the final whistle blue, I almost toppled over front forward. If you look at the video we did with the rant where we captured the moment we won the Scudetto, I, I almost fell forward. I felt faint, and I, th I think it was Biz who, like, just by being in front of me, caught me. Biz was and the Kim Min Jae to your Di Lorenzo. <laughs> you're, you're damn straight. Yeah, yeah. The marriage made in heaven, right? The, the great wall of Napoli that I'm hearing they're being dubbed. And then I turn around, and my kid is right there. So I just grabbed him and hugged him. And my father and my other son, you know, Rocco, Rocco and Pauly, and then Biz, and then it just, I didn't care where I was to see it as long as I was with those people. And when people say that this team represents family, I think that's the understatement of all understatements for Napoli fans. Right? You know, Joe, you had your father on that show. You grew up a Napoli fan with your dad. So did I. But we're also from there. You know, we have roots there. So it means a little extra to us who had to wait all this time to watch it as grown adults, to understand it as grown adults. When I was seven, I knew we won a Scudetto, but I didn't really know what it meant until I grew up a little a little older. And so this one, I said this before, and I'll say this, and then we can move on. 
if we don't win another one in my lifetime, I'm happy we have this one and my dream has been fulfilled, you know? So yeah, man, it just, I mean, you saw, I don't know if you saw my Twitter, but during this, and we'll talk about this celebration, the tears that flowed during the celebration, three days after we won the Scudetto, far outweighed the tears that I shared the day of because, you know, we the initial shock, and <laughs> I say shock, we knew we were going to win the Scudetto for months and months, right? But still, the way I felt where I almost toppled over, and then you shared the brief moment of the tears, the happy tears, and then you party, and then you're not crying anymore. Watching that at the Maradona unfold after the Fiorentina game made me sob for hours and hours and hours. And I don't think I, I will ever forget just sitting in my barbershop watching that and experiencing that. It just, this entire season means so much to me. And I hope everybody can enjoy this, really take this in because this is probably the most special Scudetto of all Scudetti since Maradona, bar none. Absolutely. I think definitely family and friends was the sort of overarching theme from all of those voice notes that came in. And also, yeah, this idea that, you know, we stuck by this club and it's our city, right? Whether you're, Mm -hmm. you have family ties there or not, it's in one way or another, whether it's literally the city you're from or the city that you've adopted, it's, it's kind of our city. It's a place that also welcomes people from everywhere as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When people adopt that city, they feel welcome to do that. And then the other thing that it didn't come out so much through the voice notes, but you know, since I recorded or put that episode together, I listened to a whole bunch of other podcasts. And of course, you know, everyone's talking about it, rightfully so. And what was interesting from the neutrals, and I think most people would agree with this as well, is that we didn't buy a Scudetto either. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't a Saudi prince or some Russian oligarch Absolutely. or whatever that came in, bought the club and spent a ton of money. And next thing you know, they're competing every year for the Champions League. This was a local entrepreneur, a film guy, who most of his wealth is actually made up of this club now doesn't really make movies anymore but even when he did he was in the probably bottom quartile as far as wealth goes for all Serie A owners and he did it in the right way right whatever your opinions are of the Laurentiis and they're certainly justified the way he managed this club financially is really the model that all sports teams should be basing themselves on. Now, obviously, sports doesn't work that way, and money, you know, plays a big factor, especially in football. And and there's plenty of corruption to go along with that as well. So, you know, I think that makes it special. Even you mentioned like the neutrals that commented on it. The fact that this was done in the right way just adds to how special of a championship this was. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the match. Actually, before we talk about the match, I'll just put it out there. A few people have reached out to me about wanting to provide their thoughts on what the Scudetto means to them. So I'll probably be putting together another compilation. I'm thinking I'll do a part on my next episode. I'll do one part to preview the Monza match and another part with another one of these compilations. So for anyone who's listening and wants to share their thoughts, send me a DM on one of the uh, Forza Napoli pod social media accounts and I'll get in touch with you on how you can send me your voice note. Okay, let's talk about the match 
against Fiorentina on the weekend. I want to start with the starting lineup because Spalletti made a whole bunch of changes, and that was one of the big sort of question marks heading into this match, right? It was, are we going to see experimentation? Are we going to see an overhaul of the squad? Are we going to continue to play our best 11 to try to accumulate as many points as possible? We ended up seeing a bit of a mix from Spalletti. He made five changes to the squad that he fielded in the Udinese match. Pierluigi Golini started over Alex Meret in goal. Leo Ostegaard finally got to start. So Amir Rachmani was moved to the bench, which I think made sense because Rachmani had that foot injury not too long ago. Likewise, Diego Demis started at Regista over Stanislav Lobotka. And then for the second consecutive match, Piotr Zelinski started on the bench. And Dombele started against Udinese. So this time Elif Elmas played in the midfield after playing on the right wing against Udinese. And with Elmas in the midfield, Chucky Lozano started on the right wing. And finally, Giacomo Raspadori started over Hvicha Kvaraschelia on the left wing. Rafa, what did you make of the starting lineup from Spalletti? Honestly, I expected it. I expected it. It's exactly what I expected. You'd think, right? Okay, Scudetto's wrapped up. No matter what we do from now on, we're champions of Italy. But we have to, we still have these five games to play, right? So what do we do? And I remember talking about it with my cousin before the match, before the lineups were announced. And it was like, he's got to do something. He's definitely going to rotate at some point. In certain areas, I think every position gets a rotation. Obviously, we knew Oliveira was going to start because of my situation. I thought maybe Politano would get back in there because he's available. But, you know, again, just available recently. So Raspadori starting was really kind of, I don't want to say a surprise. I thought maybe Elmas would get the start there. But, yeah, I mean, I always knew Ossiman was going to play because he wants that Capo Canoniere, right? And as far as, like, the rest of the starters, I mean, I Golini starting was amazing for me because I actually really like Golini. Always was really happy with the move that was made to bring him in. He's a pretty good starting keeper. So, he, you know, in my opinion, he's like one of the best backups you can have. So I was really pleasantly surprised with the lineup because it was a healthy mix of regular starters and the bench. And I think you can expect to see that more from Spalletti, even though we've got that Scudetto wrapped up, right, Joe? We want to get as many points as we can. If we had it our way, we get the next 12 points, we're 95 points, right? You want to be as far away from second as possible because, you know, one of the best teams was the Intero 607 team, who also won with five match rounds left, but they also won with a distance between them and Roma of 22 points. So, you want to try to get to that status. And, you know, Juve being docked more points that's coming soon will probably make that happen after this the season's over. However, this lineup for me was a pretty justifiable lineup. I would definitely not want to see a Cremonese-type situation where all 11 are switched out, right? Especially on the first match back at the Maradona as champions. You also want to perform for the 67,000 screaming blue flag waving Neapolitans who are there to celebrate this Scudetto, you don't want to kind of stink the join out by putting all 11 bench players on and risking losing or drawing. You know, it's pretty anticlimactic. I think 
it's bad enough that we had to go play Salernitana at the Maradona and we, we couldn't get it done there. Then we had to have 16,000 fans travel to Udine to go watch Napoli. Almost <laughs> almost slipped there too. So it's good that we gave the crowd a good, healthy mix. And then, you know, as we'll get into, we got a good, healthy dose of Quadrascalia also. So I think it was a, a fantastic gesture from Spalletti to get these guys that don't normally play in as well, Ostigard, Deme, and Golini most notably. And then, you know, our guys came on eventually. So you can expect this for the rest of the season for sure. I completely agree. I think other than maybe the Inter match where we'll probably see something closer to our best 11, just because it's Inter, it's a big game. I think we're going to see this exact type of approach for the final few rounds where... Right. And it's Inter, I'm sorry, it's yeah. Inter and it's a big game for sure, right? We may be playing the potential Champions League finalists. We may be playing a team that's fighting for second, but we're also playing a team that we lost to in the first match of 2023. So with yesterday's result, a win against Inter will have us had beaten all 19 teams in Serie A this season, something that not the Juve team from 2018-19, that one with five rounds left, or the Inter team from 0607, that's something they couldn't do. So that is another achieve like this is just a season of achievements that we're hitting upon. So that match against Inter is big as well, just as big as yesterday's was. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think, you know, those are the kinds of things that we're gonna use to motivate ourselves going forward because there's not that much left to motivate us. But yeah, I do think we're gonna see a healthy mix of experimentation to sort of prepare, come up with some new ideas for next season. Because, you know, if we look at this last stretch and obviously guys are tired and teams change the way they played against us. But lately, you know, we haven't looked like the same team that we did in the first 25, 30 rounds of the season. We've we've lost a bit of our energy, our, our attacking prowess. So, you know, it'd be good to see, assuming Spalletti sticks around because that's a bit of a question mark as well. But It'll be good to see him try out some new ideas and maybe give us a different look every now and then, even if it's just coming up with a better backup plan for when plan A is not working. You mentioned David Fredini earlier, who did one of the voice notes for the last pod. He wrote a piece that he allowed us to share on the website called What Now for the Italian Champions? And it's on this very subject, you know, how should Spalletti use these final matches to try out some okay. new things, playing guys like Zerbin and Gaetano and seeing mm-hmm. what they're made of. So everyone definitely check that out. You touched on it already, but one of the guys who's been, I guess, a great teammate and an important locker room person, even though he hasn't played a whole lot, is Luigi Golini. Rafa, he made some really good saves in that first half and, and actually had a good match all around. He sure did. He sure did. He also played pretty well in the Atalanta game, right? The game that he played for Meret, the one other game he played this season. And again, he wasn't scouted by Paratici and Tottenham for nothing, right? I mean, let's face it. You go to an English team, you know, it's a big move, right? Didn't quite work out there, but you know what? It's okay. He really was a big part of that Atalanta team in the Champions League. And in getting to that status, he was a pretty big part of that squad. And I always thought that he deserved a place on the national team or like uh, at a bigger club, right? I thought the Tottenham thing was going to make it. I guess not. Golini comes to us after City go leaves. And I just really like his 
movement in the box. I don't know if you've seen if you've seen what I've seen, Joe, but like it's a different type of movement from Medet's movement. And I, I'm not trying to knock Medet at all. Listen, he's a Scudetto winning keeper. I'm gonna he's gonna be in my heart forever. One year ago, we were I told him get out of my club, right? But Golini, I mean, listen, if Medet ever decided to go, I don't know where he is with his contract. To be honest with you. Don't remember if he'd resigned or if there were talks about it. But if he were to go and it were to be Golini, I'd be absolutely fine with that. And it's not just based on the two performances with Napoli. It's based on his past and his track record. I think he's a solid enough keeper to go forward with. And again, that's something that you want to have on your bench and you want to have bought into the system. Because I'll tell you right now, no one's happier than Golini being a Scudetto winner and having been able to play in a game with Napoli during this season, you know? So, yeah, I mean, Golini's two saves, too, especially I think they were in the first half. There were a couple of really good saves. Also, the way, like, he controls a ball when it's coming to his chest, he just, like, he's got it. You know, he's always, he's always just, like, confident enough to palm it down and, like, you know, just control it instead of parry it out or, like, just kind of slap it away or be quick to use his feet first. He's always kind of in control and he's all over that box, man. So yeah, I'm very happy with Golini. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like they have a very different presence in the area. It's almost like Golini has the qualities that Medet is sort of lacking in. Like we all know Medet is probably one of the best shot stoppers in the league. Sure. But he hasn't been the most commanding of his area. Sometimes he's a little bit hesitant, whereas I think it's because Golini is a bit more of a risk taker that that allows him to succeed at certain things perhaps better than Medet. Like there was one play where it looked like Fiorentina were going to break and this guy was like way out of his box and oh, yeah. <laughs> got yeah. to the ball first. You know, there was a cross to the second post and he jumped up and caught it. And those are plays where you think maybe Medet might have hesitated a little bit. At the same time, that sometimes comes back to bite Golini because he'll sometimes do a little bit too much with the ball at his mm-hmm. feet, for example. But I completely agree. In terms of a backup goalkeeper, you probably can't find one that's much better. And I'm not sure about Medad's contract. I think he has one or two years. I know Golini's contract comes up in June. It was a very short contract. And even though he didn't play that much, I feel like he did enough to warrant an extension. Like with all due respect to Salvatore Sirigu, after that Atalanta game, I felt a lot more assured having Golini as the backup. And I think he's going to want to stick around as well because I can't remember which interview it was that he gave, but he talked about how he suffered with some mental challenges when he was at Fiorentina. He was ridiculed by the fans. It was a really toxic place for him, and he almost lost his passion for the sport. And then he came to Napoli and he was suddenly appreciated again. He was treated like a professional in training, like all the everybody's, you know, Spalletti has been very big on everyone being equals, even though there might be some guys who play more, some guys who play less. He never called them like his starters versus his bench players, right? He said they were always all important. And I think that really resonated with Golini and And because of that, he found that passion again. So to me, it's a no-brainer to extend Golini, no matter matter what we do with Meret, because Mm -hmm. he wants to be there, we want him there, so you might as well do that. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was how Spalletti used Elmas and Raspadori. I was really confused with the graphic that the club posted on the starting 11, because normally 
they post the players in order of their position. So they start from right back to left back, then they do the right side of the midfield to the left. Same thing with the front three. For this one, the front six in order was Enguisa Deme Raspadori, Lozano Osimen Elmas. So in that order, you would expect it to be a 4-3-3 with Raspadori playing in Zielinski's usual position and Elmas on the left wing. So I thought, okay, maybe Raspadori is going to line up there, but really he's playing kind of like a 10 in a 4-2-3-1 or something. I was trying to figure out <laughs> what this lineup was. You know, the structure that made the most sense was Elmas playing in Zielinski's spot and Raspadori playing on the left wing. But it was kind of like a combination of both because Raspadori would drift into the middle. So he did sort of play as a number 10, even though he started on the left. Elmas was tending to drift out wide to play on the wing. Rafa, I mentioned sort of the balance between securing points and experimenting. Do you think maybe we got a glimpse there of how Spalletti might get Raspadori into the starting 11 next season? That's a very good point. Yeah, I think we did. I think we did. I also kind of think maybe Spalletti said, okay, guys, you know, for today, let's try Elmas in the 10 and Raspadori on the left. And in my opinion, Raspadori is a little more comfortable in the center and Elmas is a little more comfortable out wide. So it could have been where we wanted to see it that way, but naturally the two shifted positions because that's where they naturally tend to go. And then at that point, it's like, okay, well, I got this spot covered, so you take that spot, right? But it could very well be Spalletti kind of seeing what we can do for next season. You know, we know Elmas is going to be there. We know Raspadori is going to be there. And yeah, we have to find a way to get Raspadori involved more because at that number 10 position, a little centrally behind Ossiman or whoever the striker may be next year, Simeone. Biz and I often refer to this on the rant too. He reminds me and Biz a little bit of a Mertens type substitute, right? Like when we first got Mertens and he would come in and provide this dynamism, right? This like explosion off the bench. And then like in those rare starting opportunities, it was a little slower to kind of catch on. But when he came in, it just was like magic. It was like we were seeing another incarnation of Mertens in that number 10 role. I think that is probably the best way forward, but it also highlights the versatility of this club where Elmas, we all know, is a utility guy that can go anywhere on the pitch and be happy to do it. Raspadori has the ability to come out wide and maybe overlap if he needs to help out whoever's on the left there from the central. You know, help provide assistance to Ossiman, maybe a little bit of a distraction for the defense when Ossiman is doing his thing, or even provide as another tool for like a cross coming in, right? I mean, he's not very tall, but still, he's a body, right? I think Spalletti making these, this decision to get Raspadori in the starting 11 was a really good idea because we do kind of have to figure in, you know, maybe some players that might be going, maybe some things that might need a change. There's some changes coming, I'm assuming. You know, every club goes through it, championship clubs as well. So, yeah, I mean, what better way than to get the guy who scored the 93rd minute against Juventus on the pitch for the team who is about to play in front of their home crowd their first game as champions, right? That's another thing. Napoli's never played a home game as a champion in the same season 
the last Scudetto was the final game of the season, and the one before that was the final home game of the season. So it wasn't like they were able to do this parade around Italy and back to Naples three times as champions. So now you're trying to get to see all the. You know, I, I would expect Simeone getting a start in here somewhere too, right? But yeah, I mean, it highlights our versatility. Maybe we need a little bit more depth on the bench when it comes to having two teams to compete, but we definitely have the force on the bench to be able to plug and play. This could be the signal from Spalletti to say, hey, you know, show our sporting director or whoever it may be (laughs) after this season. This is what we have. This is what we need. Let's work on next season right now while we have the opportunity. Absolutely. I think another thing that we could well see over these next couple of matches that we saw in this one as well was earlier substitutions from Spalletti. So again, more experimentation. We saw at halftime, he replaced Deme with Lobotka and Raspadori with Zielinski. I like Diego Deme, but the team looked completely different when he was on the pitch compared to when Lobotka was on the pitch. And, you know, we all talk about the need for a new right winger, which is definitely the top priority. But to me, you know, you talked about depth. A close second to getting a new right winger is probably getting some backups in the midfield. Like we don't really have a proper backup to either Angisa or Lobotka. I mean, sure. Ndombele won't even be around next season, but he was more suited to play in Zelinski's role. And maybe Gianluca Gaetano can become that backup to Lobotka. He was kind of a project for Spalletti this season. Maybe it's still a work in progress. Perhaps that's why we've started to slow down near the end of the season because some of these guys have just clocked so many minutes. So I think we definitely need to address those two positions. But we saw the impact from Lobotka coming on the pitch. Like Literally minutes after he comes on to start the second half, he wins a penalty kick. Spalletti chose Victor Osiman to take the penalty kick, and he was stopped. It was the second time he was stopped from the spot this season, the other being in the Champions League against Liverpool. Do you think Spalletti would have chosen Osiman to shoot had the Scudetto not been secured? Or was this just, well, we won the title anyway, so now let's make sure you get the Capocannoniere? I'll tell you what, I think he might have gone with Osiman. Because honestly, I don't know if Kvada's the guy. <laughs> you know, uh, we've tried him, you know, we've seen it in the Champions League. To be honest with you, Napoli weren't the best at penalties this season. And if it's one thing that they were really down on from years past, it's penalty conversions. But I do think Spalletti would have chosen Osimhen because, for me, he's just the guy. Like, he's the guy this season, right? He's the leading goal scorer. We need a goal. And he'd only missed one other penalty, the penalty that was saved against Liverpool before he got injured and had to go away for a couple games. And I'm pretty sure he scored one or two on a penalty since that. But, you know, yeah, the, I think the he miss. converted in the shootout against Cremonese in the Coppa Italia. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. He would have if he took a shot because yeah. the only one that missed was Lobotka, right? Yeah. And, and he did because yeah. he came off the bench for that match. That's true. Correct. Correct. There might have been one more in a game. I don't remember, but off the top of my head. But. You know, I mean, he's the man. He's our striker. He's our guy. He's he's the leading goal scorer. I think it would only have been right in that situation to take it, and especially if Scudetto was on the line. You know, sad to say, Kvada's got to work on his penalties on the off season, and that wouldn't have been him. If Zelinski was on the pitch, maybe it could have been him too. 
probably Politano. But that's another thing is that, you know, we have players that can convert from the penalty spot. It's just that this season, for some reason, was a miss when it comes to that. And I did hear someone else say that and talk about, oh, you know, they got to work on that for next season. We may need to work on that, but our set piece conversions are so much higher than they were from seasons past. So it's like you lose here in one area, but you gain in so many others, you know. So it's a very small thing to work on for sure, but uh, I'm sure we'll be fine with it. And yeah, I would have chosen Austin Men if I were Spalletti as well. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if the trade-off is, okay, you're gonna, you're not going to be great at penalty kicks, but you're going to score three, four goals a game from open play, sure. <laughs> I think yeah, we'll happily right. take that. Or from, to your point, set pieces. You know, turns out yeah. if you cross the ball in corner kicks, good things happen. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> Put it in the air and <laughs> give a little curve, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do think a part of it was related to the Capo Canoneta race just because Lautaro scored five goals last week or in the last yeah. three matches. And yeah. all of a sudden, he was only three goals behind Osiman in that race. Credit to Osiman, though, even after the miss, he still converted the second penalty kick quite confidently. So his lead is back up to four goals. And I think we're going to see Osiman play quite a bit in these final few rounds, even though everything's decided. And then maybe, you know, in the last couple matches, uh, we'll see Simeone or someone start at the number nine. Ostegaard started over Rachmani. I mentioned the foot injury. I wouldn't be surprised if Spalletti rested Kim for the next match against Monza and played Juan Jesus there. Again, just that healthy rotation, but not too many changes. Before we talk about Juntoli, I just want to get your thoughts on all of the festivities around this match before, after the Tifos, the the music concert, the firework display, speeches, all of that stuff. What did you make of the whole celebration? I got to say, I thought it was well done. I thought it was well done. The TIFOs were great. The upside down Scudetto caught a little bit of controversy online. I guess I understand some of the criticism, but I also understand very much what it means you know, in a Napoli perspective. And then just some people, uh, some outsiders that are commenting on it with all due respect to them because they have their opinions and I respect that. They don't understand what quite what this means to us and quite what we've been through. I tried to see myself trying to explain what it means and I don't know if they can grasp the concept of what that meant, right? The upside down Scudetto sort of means like when you've taken an enemy, you display their flag, you turn it upside down or something like that. Or, or like just, yeah, just against, war. right. Spoils of war against the, the establishment that yeah. have put you down all these years and you've conquered that. Now you're showing that it, I'm sure it had no disrespect intended to the actual Scudetto that we're going to be wearing on our kits next season, which I cannot wait for, by the way, I've been dreaming oh, yeah. this moment <laughs> for uh, my money is saved, but the celebrations were beautiful. I was talking to someone else today about it and it's like ADL couldn't have made Sunday better the only way he could have made that better is if we actually had the trophy presentation that night as well which is june 4th <laughs> so get ready for part two because that's coming even from the cheesy face kits everything was perfect fireworks and color and the italian flag color and the names in, in the laser lights you know as everybody got called out and the set the graphics and the set was just so i mean 
it was a beautiful night, man. And it was, it got me very emotional when they all came out and then they took to the field to celebrate on the field where, you know, all the gold was coming down and the songs were playing. It just made me very, very emotional. In the city, you see everybody outside the stadium celebrating a game that really doesn't mean anything anymore. But it's just, it's much more than a game and it's much more than a season and it's much more than just a sport, right? This is, like I said before, it's a culmination of everything that we've been through just lifted off of our shoulders and everybody is in celebration and they will be for a long, long time. I thought everything was perfect. I thought it was perfect. I thought bringing the whole team out. And when I say the whole team, even like the back staff and like people in the office and directors, people you don't even know exist came out. And I thought that was a classy touch. And, uh, you know, listen, ADL is a showman. He knows what to do. This is his life. His world is entertainment, right? So this was his chance to mix the two together. I think the fact that we, we had a lot of time to prepare for this made it a little better, made it a little more special. We're going to get this person. We're going to get that person. We're going to get this rapper. We're going to get that, you know, guy to come out and this producer and this Oscar winning filmmaker and everything went perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, De Laurentiis has probably been dreaming about this moment for 20 years. And you're right. He's he's a film producer. Like, this was the ultimate production, and, and they covered everything. It was done beautifully. I was surprised. Like, we first saw the sort of light laser display when the Italy-England game was hosted yes, after Maradona. Right. And then we didn't yes. see it again after that. I was like, why are we not that's using right. this for Napoli games? I wonder if that was a precursor. If yeah. that was like the, the uh, this is the dry run for the Scudetto. Or, or De Laurentiis got like the city to pay for it and now he has yeah. <laughs> probably more like it yeah and, like and it. he's probably happy that there was no trophy presentation at this match because that just means he's going to get another sellout crowd <laughs> for oh, yeah. the, the final home game of the season yeah. there was also and, and all, you know the fingers crossed footage. I'll be in attendance for that man oh, fingers, that would be crossed. Amazing. Yeah. fingers crossed we're working on it yeah there was also the drone footage of the city just a lit with fireworks. <laughs> like yeah, how yeah. this many fireworks even exist? I know they love their fireworks in Napoli, but it was even that. It was almost like okay, everyone's been saving up. Maybe all the fireworks they bought five years ago, or sure, whatever it was, sure, sure, they all got set off. I don't um, think they expire, do they? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm no fireworks expert. <laughs> I'm sure they could figure out a way to reuse them anyways. Joe, that one image of the guy flying into Naples, right? And taking the footage on his camera where, you know, you're just seeing explosion of fireworks everywhere. It was at night and you just, you're just seeing it come from everywhere. You can hear it from outside of the plane even. And I wonder if this person even knew what was going on. Like, you know, it's possible to fly into a place not for culture or not for a sport, right? And you're just like passing through Naples like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) But uh, that was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, well, well, Naples is a great tourist destination too, even if you have no clue about sure. football or culture, right? So Absolutely. yeah, <laughs> that would uh, I'd probably be a little bit scared <laughs> if I was if I was <laughs> that guy. But even knowing what was going on, just a quick point on on the upside down scudetto. There was also a uh, a banner that said Campioni in Italia as opposed yes. to Campioni d'Italia, so champions in Italy rather than champions of Italy, which. 
I don't expect 20 year old Americans on Twitter to understand like the historical context of what that means for Napoli. But, you know, Michele from In the Shadow of Vesuvius kind of posted a, a bit about that and, and what that means. So, yeah, I think people may interpret that the wrong way, but it, it really is just kind of the ultimate expression of, you know, the South getting a rare victory over the North. There were a whole bunch of speeches at the end, which created a little bit of buzz, maybe negative buzz, I guess you can say, in terms of the future of the club. First, we had De Laurentiis, who all of a sudden, he's thanking the fans for everything. You know, he, he uh, <laughs> after the Dinesa match when they did like the watch party in Napoli. Then he comes on the mic and he says, this Scudetto is dedicated to Curva A. Curva B. Uh-huh, yeah. He's dedicating everything to the fans all of a sudden. And then he goes up to Juntuli and he tells him, you know, we want to win and win and win and win. <laughs> and, then, and then Juntuli comes on the mic and gives this speech. Thank you to everyone. It's been a great eight years. Don't worry. The club's in good hands with De Laurentiis, which really felt like I'm oh, out of here, guys. It's yes. been a pleasure. <laughs> what are your thoughts on on what seems like more than just a rumor now that... Juntoli is going to be leaving the club, and even worse, the most likely destination for him is Juventus. I don't know how to feel about this, Joe. Like, I really don't. I mean, Juntoli, he's the guy that made this happen, right? I mean, he he let. I mean, listen, we still have a great scout system, right? The scout system isn't going to change, I don't think. But I feel like Juntoli is the head of that. Right, being the director of sport, you probably are keeping the most tabs on the scouts. Right, Juntoli had a huge part in this eight-year journey to the Scudetto. Right, and I mean it's been more than eight, but you know what I mean. He's been there for eight. So if he wants to go, like I mean, I understand a cycle ends. Right, he's part of that, I guess. But him sticking around, you know, helped us win a Scudetto and. You kind of feel like, well, well, let me go out on top, right? I mean, it's happened. Look at Ottavio Bianchi. He won the Scudetto in 86, 87, right? He got Napoli from the doldrums to third to first to almost won two more Scudetti, won a, won a UEFA Cup, and then he left after the UEFA Cup, right? So let's think about that right now. Joe, Joe Fischetti and Rafael Rispo are our age now in 1989 after Ottavio Bianchi just won us the UEFA Cup, right? And he leaves and we bring in Albertino Bigon, who was unproven as a manager, unproven as a tactician, right? But they win another Scudetto right after that. Imagine, though, after Bianchi leaves, like, and this guy comes in, he's like, who the heck is this guy, Bigon? What's he going to do for us? How's he going to manage us? We only know Bianchi with Maradona, this and that. And he gets us to another title, right? It's sort of like how what happened this season with, you know, Kulibali, Mertens, Insigne, and bringing in Kim, Kardashkelia, and, you know, Raspadori, Simeone. And it's like, you know, a lot of us didn't think that this was going to happen. And even my dad, who is the ultimate, ultimate, what's the word I'm looking for? He's so positive all the time. Like, optimist. that's kind of where I get it from. But optimist, right. Every single season, ah, oh, this is going to be the Scudetto year. This is gonna... Even he this season was like, ah, uh, maybe not Scudetto this year, but definitely Champions League. Yeah, well, maybe maybe Scudetto next year. Maybe Scudetto next year. For him to say something like that, nobody believed in this team. But this team came out ahead and 
just showed everyone that they were wrong. Juntoli was the head of that. But really, this is all the puppet master is De Laurentiis. He's the puppet master. I don't think he's going to let Juntoli go without being able to suitably replace Juntoli. Even after saying we want to win another Scudetto, another Scudetto, another Scudetto. Oh, by the way, we're going to win the Champions League next year. Let's not forget, the only other time ADL has ever said anything about a Scudetto before this season was, don't worry, we'll win a Scudetto at some point. Oh, the Scudetto of honesty. Oh, oh, we won the real Scudetto. You know, take away all the referee errors. We won the Scudetto. That's the only time he ever mentioned the Scudetto until this season where he came out and said, we're going to win the Scudetto this year. And everybody thought he was a joke, and we did it. Now, he's saying he wants to win more, right? So when Juntoli leaves, we'll bring in a new director of sport. He's going to work out just fine. It's all under the guidance of him and the scouts that we have. And honestly, the only thing that bothers me is that he Juntoli would want to even go to Juventus. Like, what's the incentive right now? There are players on that team that are not going to want to stay if Juve gets punished where they don't have to play, they can't play in Europe for two years. Who knows what's going to happen with this punishment now that's coming, This, the points deduction again, and then the PRISM investigation. There's so much crap coming down. Like if Juntoli wants to leave, go to France, go to Paris, go to England, go somewhere else. Why Juventus? It just seems to me the ultimate villain heel move. Like, I don't care if he wants to move on. Move on, man. Like, you've done it for us. Thank you so much. But why would you want to go there? It just doesn't seem right to me. I don't know. But listen, either way, I will thank Juntoli for the rest of my life for being the director of sport of the Campione d'Italia. You know, that's just how I feel. Yeah, that's fair. The one good thing about that Laurentiis, and you might have noticed, like, he seemed very comfortable with the idea of Juntoli leaving, almost too comfortable. And to me, what that means is he's already prepared for this. And and maybe they've known this. And, you know, again, that might have been a little production for the fans to kind of introduce the idea. They might have been talking about this for weeks, months. Who knows? Uh, we'll get to well, knowing ADL. Yeah, more. man. Knowing and, ADL, and that's the I thing mean. with ADL, right? Like he's always been that way, even with players, right? The replacement player was already signed or about to sign before the guy that was being replaced left the club and have no reason to think that he wouldn't also take the same approach with his sporting director. I agree. I really struggle to understand why Juntoli would pick Juventus of all clubs. And at this point in time where the club is just a complete disaster, the finances are a mess. They have a bunch of temporary executives. We don't know if Max Allegri will be the coach of the future. Apparently Allegri doesn't even want Juntoli. He wants someone else. And they've been giving him a lot more power than he really should have as a coach because of the whole situation with the board. And then, as you mentioned, we don't know what's going to happen with the point deductions as well. And Juntoli still had a year left on his contract at Napoli. So it felt like it made so much more sense to just see out the contract. You leave at the end of it. You would assume 12 months from now, Juventus has sort of gotten their house in order in terms of who's going to be the coach, who are the executives, all these things. And then you bring Juntoli in. The only sort of logical explanation I've seen. Well, there's a couple. One is that his family lives in Genoa, so he'd be closer to home. And whether we like to admit it or not, there still are three big teams in Italy, right? It's Milan, Inter, and Juve. 
Milan have Maldini and Massara, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon because they've been doing a fantastic job. Inter have Marotta, who's regarded as probably one of the best sporting directors in the world. He's doing as good of a job as he can, given the financial constraints that he has to deal with at Inter. So really, the only one of those big three clubs that has availability is Juventus. The other thing I read is that it was more of a theory in an Italian article I read is that Juntoli likes these kind of challenging projects. You know, before Napoli, he was at Carpi and Serici. He was there for six seasons. He got them up to Serie A, and then he left at that point. He comes to Napoli. He's with us for eight seasons. He wins the Scudetto. It's like he's he's achieved the goal that he set out for himself, and maybe this is sort of the next challenge for him. That said, I think you kind of touched on this already, but because I've seen different reactions to this rumor on social media, but for you, does he automatically become a hated man in Napoli like in Higuain, or does he get a reprieve because he delivered the Scudetto, obviously along with everybody else at the club? I mean, listen, he's a sporting director. He's not a player. He didn't He didn't score a winning goal. He didn't, you know, provide an on-the-pitch memory. But he was a massive part of this organization. You know, you look at a team, and oftentimes people don't realize the faces in the back. That's why I really love what ADL did when he brought everyone out there. You know, everyone in every department. So... They're very important parts to the to this element as well, right? And the fact that he's going to go to Juventus, yeah, it stings a little bit. But I never got the hate for Chido Ferrara that I that other people had or have still. Even I never understood that, right? I don't know if there's a lot of hate towards Fabio Cannavaro. He wasn't with us that long, you know what I mean? He's from Naples, went to other places first, then the Juve. Ferrara went from Napoli to Juve, you know, so did others in the past, big names, big names. But for me, this doesn't really compute to an Higuain level because it's the way Higuain left us, right? It was totally behind our back, like a thief in the night. He just like, it's like he slept with someone who is supposed to be the love of his life. And then he just kind of creeped out the window and you never saw him again. And the next time you saw him, you're with this person that you can't stand. It's something like that. At least now, Juntoli has given us what we needed for Scudetto and what we need to progress, right? He's also set us up pretty good for the future with some of these great young players. These are year one, Kim, Karaskelia, you know, uh, Raspadori, uh, Simeone. You know, these guys are going to stick around, hopefully, Kim, hopefully. But they're going to stick around for a little bit. And Juntoli gave us that. Now he's going to go and try to repair a damaged, you know, listen, we say damaged. We don't know what's going to happen. They could very well end up in the Champions League. And if they do, now he's got a good chance at getting this team back to the way they were supposed to be. But if he takes on a team, like he took on a Napoli. Napoli was nowhere near where Juventus is right now in the situation, right? Carpi was probably one of his first jobs. So, like, that was something that he had done and achieved, and now he came here and achieved it. That's a whole different mess of starting over, you know what I mean? If things happen the way I feel they're going to, which is at least a UEFA ban. So he's going to have to really pick that thing up and work at it. But I don't see 
a reason to hate Cristiano Juntoli for leaving to go to Juventus. I don't see a reason for that. You know, I'm pretty sure he's not going to leave and start like cursing ADL out. That's another thing. The ADL and these other players that have left, they've had some sort of a feud and it became a little public later on, right? So I think the circumstances are much different this time. With Iguain, there was also the fact that he celebrated scoring against us, which is not oh, going to yeah. help your situation. Oh, with, yeah, no. with Chiro oh, Ferrara, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people know the history. Obviously, you and I do, but like the club was basically being torn apart because they had no money. <laughs> so guys had sure. to or yeah, maybe you could have picked a different club, fine. But I agree, and, and you know, I'm secretly hoping that Juntoli is really going there to be like a Napoli mole and just <laughs> just keep them down, keep them down. But the th- the other thing too is that what he doesn't have there that he had the benefit of at Napoli is time, because at Juventus, yeah, if you're not winning the Scudetto, you're considered a failure. So despite the complete mess that the club is in. The expectation is that next year we're winning the Scudetto. So that is not something that's easy to achieve. I mean, you look at some of these coaches, like Sadi won the Scudetto and still got fired, right? Sure. So, yeah, it's it's definitely an And odd. isn't really remembered for that Scudetto winning season, is he now? No. Everybody still talks about Sadi and Napoli. Not even with Chelsea that they won the Europa League. Yeah. Everybody still talks about Sadi and Napoli. Not, Sadi's Napoli. Sadi's Napoli. Lazio looks a lot like Sadi's Napoli. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to hear them say he looks like Sadi's Juventus or Sadi's Chelsea in the Europa League. You're never going to hear that. Yeah, if ever. anything, Ronaldo got the credit, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. it was, oh, well, it was because Ronaldo was there. I mean, um, listen, Joe, you and I could have head coach and, and assistant coach that team, and we would have won the Scudetto. Yeah, yeah, probably. The guy that is rumored to replace Juntoli is Pietro Accardi, who is currently the sporting director at Empoli. He seems pretty promising. He's got a fantastic track record. I mean, let me just ramble off some of the players he's brought in to Empoli. Giovanni Di Lorenzo, to name one. <laughs> and look where he's come, winning a Scudetto. Krunic, Di Marco, Terracciano, Benacer, goalkeepers, Vicario, Skorupski, Provedel. Some of these younger midfielders that they have now or had in recent seasons, uh, Ricci, Parisi, Bairami, Aslani, there's Baldanzi. All of these guys, fantastic, fantastic players. So this, this does seem like a the next logical step for him. The other thing that's interesting, and and some people have posited this as a theory as to why he might join, is that he is also Tuscan, and supposedly he is friends with Spalletti. I don't know if that's just Mm -hmm. the papers kind of putting two and two together because they're both from the same place. It's a pretty big place. (laughs) But, um, you know, there's a theory that maybe that could be a way to convince Spalletti to stick around a little while longer as well. But I agree with you. I think Juntoli put in a lot of important pieces. Obviously, whoever the next sporting director will be will have a lot of work cut out for them. If we lose some of these key pieces, you know, if someone pays the Kim bio clause or if if a PSG steps up with a hundred and sixty million dollar or euro check, you know, then then we've got some work to do. But otherwise, you know, there's rumors that we're trying to extend Osimen and and I personally don't think Havada would leave this season. I think that's probably more of a next season type of thing. So the core of the team is pretty much in place. And so the guy that's coming in may not have as much work to do as Juntoli did. Rafa, that's just about all the time we have today. Actually, we've gone a little bit over, but it was a great discussion. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. No, thank you, Joe. Again, like I said, uh, this kind of rounds out a very special week for me. 
we do the rant every Monday and we've started this Insta rant on Instagram, either Wednesdays or Thursdays. And just a lot of the stuff with the clubs and a lot of the stuff with the appearances and a lot of the stuff with all that comes with it, you know, with life. Um, this week has just been a huge, like as joyous as it's been, it's been a huge weight off of everybody's shoulders, including mine. I think a lot of the reason why I felt kind of faint when we were winning that Scudetto, the moment we won it was because I just kind of felt relieved. You know what I mean? And now it's crazy, Joe. I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I'm watching this game like with no stress. And I don't ever remember watching a Napoli game with no stress. I think I can only liken it to watching a World Cup without Italy, right? Just to watch it for the football and the fun and to comment, you know, it's amazing feeling knowing to also watch games like Juventus, Atalanta and like Milan Lazio or Inter Roma, knowing that we are their champions. We are the champions of them. And we get to say that for another four weeks, man. And this is it's an amazing feeling. I thank you so much for letting me come on here and chat with you today. And I absolutely praise you for what you do too, because your podcast is, is so special. It's so special. Oh, thank you so much, Rafa. Yeah. Just a quick comment on, on the other clubs. I mean, Italians love this concept of Soferenza and we have no Soferenza for a couple of weeks. We're just coasting no matter what happens. It doesn't matter. I mean, we'll, we'll stress out again as next season starts to roll around, but it's a fantastic feeling. I think you described it perfectly. That weight is off our shoulders and, and we can just sit back and enjoy the ride while everybody else is in this ridiculous battle for champions and qualification. Joe, we're championship podcasters. That's what we are right there now. You and I, championship <laughs> content creators. Yeah, they cannot take that away from They'll us. They'll never take that away from <laughs> us. <laughs> All right. You can find Rafa on Twitter at RafaNapoli83. You can find the Napoli Rant at Napoli Rant, and you can find Far From Vesuvius at Far From Vesuvius. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on all the usual social media channels at Forza Napoli Pod. I will be back in a few days to preview the Monza match, and hopefully I'll have that compilation for you on what this Scudetto means for a bunch of Napoli fans around the world. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.